Welcome to the Podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled, Pressing Forward, from our series, Hard Reset. If you have your Bible, I'm in Philippians, the third chapter this morning, beginning in the 12th verse. Very familiar ground. We're going to begin a new series this morning called A Hard Reset. I don't know if you're like me, but once in a while I have a little trouble with my phone or my computer or my device. I don't know about you, I'm quite convinced technology is either going to help us or hurt us. It may be the thing that takes us out in the end, right? Amen. I wonder if all those science fiction movies are a little bit true. Maybe. Someday it's going to be technology that ends up pulling the plug on it all. I don't know. I hope not. Once in a while, these little things we carry in our pocket that are there to help us can get cantankerous. And you have to give it a hard reset. Amen. Sometimes you can just do one. You can hold down the home button and the power button and it'll, it'll turn it off and back on again and everything will be fine. But once in a while, something can get so messed up that you have to take it all the way back to the factory settings. You have to go in and start over and wipe everything out and download everything fresh and just begin all over again. And we call that a hard reset. Sometimes that's what has to happen to us in our technology. You know, sometimes we need that to happen to us spiritually. Maybe at the end of this year, in the beginning of the new year, you're standing here and say, Pastor, I just wish I could hit the hard reset button on my life spiritually. Well, you know what? Maybe you can. Maybe you can. The Word of the Lord gives us a great insight on how we can do that, whether it's this day or tomorrow or any other day. The principles in God's Word always work. The Word always works. Say that with me. The Word always works. Hear the Word of the Lord today. Philippians 3, beginning in verse 12. Paul says, Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let as many of us as are mature have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained... Let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join me in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. May God bless the reading of his word. And his people said, Amen. Amen. What do we need as we begin the new year to hit the hard reset button on our lives? Well, I want to give you a couple ideas from this passage. And I think in order to begin the new year right, the first thing we need, Paul says, is an adequate picture of ourselves. Say a picture. We need a picture of where we really are. And that only comes one way, and that is by self-examination. I know that's a word that's not very popular today. Most of our world is bent on accepting ourselves just as we are. Well, that may be a good place to begin, but it's never a good place to end because I don't know about you, but when I look in the mirror, I often change something, right? Have you noticed whenever you pass by a mirror, you almost have to resist the urge to not do a little something. I mean, even if it's just adjust one hair or straighten your tie or adjust your jacket, we always do a little something whenever we see ourselves in the mirror. We notice immediately something is not quite right. 
and we make the necessary adjustments before we go out because we understand in those moments that what we saw is what everyone else had been seeing all along, right? It's quiet today. <laughs> Sometimes we need to do a little self-examination of our own heart spiritually because the reality is what we notice in those moments are often the things that our friends and family members have been noticing all along and we need to have our attention drawn to those things and allow the Holy Spirit to put his finger on them so we can make an adjustment a little bit and get everything straight before we continue the new year. So if we're going to begin the new year, we have to know exactly how we stand at the beginning, at the end of the old year. Amen? I love those little pictures when you go into the mall. They always have a map at the beginning, and there's a little sticker, and what does it say? You are here. The map is no good without that sticker, right? You have to know where you are to begin to understand where you need to head. Well, the same is true for us spiritually. It doesn't matter how much of God's Word we know, how much of His principles we understand. We cannot begin to take the first step until we locate ourselves on the map that says you are here. In order to begin any kind of meaningful change in the new year, I have to start with an adequate picture of myself. I have to understand who I am and where I am on the map. Paul says in verse 12, not that I've already attained or am already perfected. Verse 13 begins, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended or laid hold of this. Paul was aware of his true spiritual condition. He understood where he stood with God. He knew he was saved and justified. He also knew that he was not perfect, that he was not flawless, that there was room for improvement and growth in the way of Jesus. He knew that. Uh, Socrates once said, the unexamined life is not worth living. And yet, I know far too many Christians live an unexamined life. They don't really look at their lives in light of God's Word. We often examine ourselves in light of others instead of in li as examining our hearts in light of Jesus or God's Word. And that makes a big the one reason, One of the reasons we celebrate Advent and Lent is because these seasons make us slow down and take an inventory of our own hearts. One of the reasons the church comes to the Lord's table the first Sunday of every month is to remember and to do an inventory and to confess our sins and get things under the blood and allow the Holy Spirit to point out to us where we're lacking and where we need to improve and grow. It does us good to have those moments of standing in front of the mirror of God's Word. Before bedtime... A man named John Wesley would ask himself 21 questions before he went to bed. Now some of us would fall asleep if we went through 21 questions, right? I want to tell you, if I went through the 21 questions that John Wesley went through every night, I probably wouldn't be able to sleep. Maybe we should do them first thing in the morning, I don't know. Here are just a few of his questions. I won't read all 21. Am I consciously or unconsciously creating the impression that I am better than I really am? In other words, am I a hypocrite? Well, that's a great way to end your evening, isn't it? Question number one, have I been a hypocrite today? Number two, do I confidentially pass on to others what has been told to me in confidence? Am I a trustworthy person? Number three, am I a slave to dress, friends, work, habits? Number four, am I self-conscious, self-pitying, or self-justifying? Have I had a pity party at any time during the day today? Wow. Hmm. 
Number five, did the Bible live in me today? Number six, do I give the Bible time to speak to me every day? Number seven, am I enjoying prayer? Not just am I praying, but am I enjoying praying? Wow, that raises the bar a little bit, doesn't it? Number eight, when did I last speak to someone else about my Christian faith? When did I share Jesus with another person? Number nine, do I pray about the money that I spend? You know, that would solve about half of our financial problems in our houses if we just asked Jesus before we swipe that card. Amen. He'd say no to a lot of the things that we say yes to, probably. Amen. Not because they're bad, but because we can't afford them. It's quiet in the holiness church today. Do y'all know that? Hmm. John Wesley's meddling with us, isn't he? Here's a great one. Did I go to bed on time and get up on time? You see, time is a commodity just like our money is. And we'll give an account to God one day for how we used our time and our energy and our money as well as our talents. Did I get up and go to bed on time today? Wow. Did I disobey God in anything? Do I insist on doing something about which my conscience is uneasy? Am I defeated in any part of my life? Am I jealous, impure, critical, irritable? touchy or distrustful how do I spend my spare time is there anyone whom I fear dislike disown criticize hold a resentment toward or disregard and if so what am I planning to do about it wow number 17 do I grumble or complain constantly ask your spouse they'll be honest with you Number 21, is Christ real to me today? Is Christ real to me today? Wow. Only God can show us the truth about ourselves. But you know what? Sitting down with God's word in one hand and a list of tough questions in the other hand is not a bad way once in a while for a Christian to spend some time alone before God. David prayed a prayer like that, didn't he? In Psalm 139, he had just got through praying, Lord, I wish you would show up and get those bad guys. Lord, judge those wicked people. Lord, come down and just wear out those guys that are doing wrong. And then as he finishes praying that prayer, David remembers that if God comes down and judges the wicked, God's going to come down and judge everybody. And he realizes that if God takes his belt off, not only might those people be in trouble, but David realizes he also might be in trouble. So he quickly comes behind that prayer for God to judge other people with this prayer. Would you read it with me? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What a great prayer. Psalm 139, it closes there. What if Jesus sent us a personal letter this New Year's Eve like the one he sent to the seven churches in Revelation? Do you remember those seven letters? They all began the same way. Jesus introduces himself and then Jesus says, this is what I really like about your church and the way you're living. And then Jesus moves on to say, and this is what I really insist that you change about the way you live. What if we got a letter like that from Jesus at the beginning of every year? This is Jesus, your Lord and Savior. Number one, here is the paragraph of things that you're getting right. Please note the attachment of the next several pages of things that might need your improvement. Amen. <laughs> All of our letters wouldn't be as bad as we fear they would be. Some of those churches had no, no criticism at all. 
One of them had absolutely no praise at all, only criticism. You could be that guy, right? Most of us are a mixed bag. We're getting a lot right, but we have room to grow. Paul says an honest self-examination will give us an adequate picture of ourselves. God's Word's a mirror, but too many of us forget by Monday night what God said to us on Sunday morning, and we don't ever really change or grow into the image of Christ any further. Many of us haven't been Christians for 30 years. We don't have 30 years of experience. We have our first year of experience repeated 30 times. That's not the same thing. Amen? We have to advance. We have to mature. We ought to be a year ahead of where we were last year. Let me ask you, as you sit here on the final day of 2017, do you know more about God's Word than you knew last year? Are you walking more closely to Jesus than you were this time last year? Is your spiritual life, your prayer life, your devotional life, is it stronger than it was a year ago? Are you more like Jesus than you were a year ago? Do you love Him more? Are you more devoted? Are you more like Him in your character today? I want to tell you, we can be. And it's not to judge ourselves by others, but to look at where am I and where was I 12 months ago and where do I plan to be in 12 months from now? Because the reality is, if nothing changes, then nothing changes. Say that with me. If nothing changes, nothing changes. If I don't do something different, I won't get any different results in the year that's laid out before me. What do we need to change in order to please God in the new year? Do you need to attend church regularly? Develop a consistent devotional life? Become faithful in giving and tithes and offerings? Break a bad habit like smoking or gossiping or wasting time on social media? Do you need to serve in one of the ministries of the church and find a way to give back to God's kingdom? Some of us know that God has something for us to do, a calling on our life, a ministry that we should be involved in. But there's some besetting sin or bad habit in our lives that disqualifies us from stepping up and doing that. And I want to challenge you in the new year. Stop letting that be an excuse for you. It's not going to be an excuse when you stand before the Lord. Well, Lord, I couldn't do what you wanted me to do because of this thing in my life. Get rid of that thing in your life. And do what God wants you to do. Get it under the blood. Get set free from that. Get some help if you have to. But stop using that as a crutch or as an excuse to not fulfill the call of God on your life. God has a mission for you. And he wants you to grow up and develop in Jesus to the point where you can do that. Oh, pastor, can't you just preach one of those God loves me just like I am messages today? He does love you just like you are, but he loves you too much to leave you just like you are. He's a good father, and a father loves his five-year-old, but he won't let him act five when he's 15. Amen? Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. So we need to start out the year with an adequate picture of ourselves. And then we need an active pursuit of God. Say an active pursuit. We need to be running forward, pursuing, going after the things of God, expending energy in our walk with God. Verse 12, Paul said, But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. In verse 13 he says, But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward. Say reaching forward. 
to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal. Say it with me. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The, the picture Paul has in his mind is a runner. He's an athlete. He's in a foot race. And he is almost to the finish line. And he is straining with every muscle that he has to beat the other guy and to cross the line in first place. You know, I've seen a few horse races where the horse won by a nose. Have you ever seen that? Amen. amen. You remember the, remember the movie where the horse had the big lips and his, he had one lip that flung out and won the race? You ever felt like that guy? You ought to be like that horse. We ought to be straining with everything we've got to pull ahead in the things of God. But many of us, the sad reality is, if we were honest, we would have to say, Pastor, I am coasting. Well, the problem with coasting is your track leads uphill. And how many of you know what happens when you try to coast uphill? (laughs) It doesn't work. Christian, the only thing you have to do to backslide is nothing. If you just do nothing, you will not stay even. You will fall back. You will lose ground if you aren't taking ground. The only way to to even stay steady is to be trying to move forward. If we're not growing, then we're dying. If we're not advancing, we are regressing. Christianity is trusting in grace. Yes, it is. It's also a lot of hard work on our part. The Bible says that we labor with all His energy. God gives the power, but we must put forth the work and the discipline. The Bible says it is God who lives in you both to will and to work according to His good pleasure. God will give you the right desires and God will give you the power to act out on those desires, but you must will to do it. You must put forth the energy to do it. Remember what I said, if nothing changes, then nothing changes. We have to move forward. Deliberately, there must be an active pursuit of God. Say active. Two construction workers were in lunch break and they opened up their lunch boxes and one of them looked down at his box and said, No way! Not bologna again! I can't believe I have another bologna sandwich. I hate bologna! I don't want to eat this sandwich. And his neighbor looked over at him and said, Man, what's wrong with you? He said, This is the third time this week I've had a bologna sandwich. He said, Well, man, why don't you ask your wife to fix you something else? And he said, I'm not married. I don't have a wife. I fixed this sandwich myself. (laughs) Most of the bologna in our life we put there. (laughs) Amen? (laughs) We put most of the bologna in our lives. And we are the only ones who can make a new sandwich in this new year. It's us. We've got to stop with the excuses. There will always be an excuse. There will always be an excuse. Always a reason why we can't get on a budget. Always a reason why we can't pay our tithes. Always a reason why we can't give more time to the church and serve God in a ministry. Always some reason why we can't be consistent in prayer and Bible reading. Always some reason why we can't get our health under control or or manage our diet better or work in time to exercise and improve our physical condition. There will always be an excuse But at some point, we have to stop making excuses and make an effort. The only thing God can and ever will bless is an effort. Amen? Amen. We have to do something. If you want God to bless something, put something in His hands to work with. It may be a measly five loaves and two fish, but a little bit of something is better than a whole lot of nothing. Amen. We have to stop giving God nothing because if you multiply nothing, guess what you get? Nothing. 
Zero times zero is still zero. But God can multiply our best efforts. He can bless it and breathe on it and bring something good out of it. If the things that God shows me about myself, they won't just go away. God's grace and power are available, but I have to do something in order to change and grow in my faith in Christ. If I want a consistent devotional life, it's going to require discipline, an alarm clock, a good study Bible, and maybe a devotional book or two to get me well on my way. If I'm going to quit smoking, I need to repent. I need to pray for God's deliverance. I might need a nicotine patch, a pack of bubble gum, an accountability partner to help keep me on the track of where I need to head. Well, build those things into your life, amen? Let somebody know, I'll give you a piece of juicy fruit every time I see you if you'll quit. Amen. You believe that won't work, but it will. I had a dear friend of mine. His name was Jay. Jay was, um, uh, play, wanted to play in a band with us in college. But the problem was we played for youth groups all over our area. And Jay smoked like a freight train. And we told Jay, Jay, you're a wonderful guitar player, but you can't play with us because we can't have you lighten up as we're loading up the trailer at the end of a gig. And these kids thinking that it's okay for Christians to live like that. So we want you in, but you're going to have to quit. And so he came back in the new year and he said, if y'all will help me, I'll quit. Every member of our band bought a big old pack of Wrigley's gum and we stuck it in our shirt pocket and every time we saw Jay we fed Jay gum. Jay got so tired of Wrigley's spearmint gum he thought he was going to turn into a spearmint. Amen? But you know what? Jay quit smoking. He went down to a pack a day and then he went down to just eat, having one after the meal. Then he went down to one a day and I remember when Jay threw the pack in the garbage can and we gave him his last piece of gum. Amen? Jay started playing guitar for our band. Today Jay serves in leading the youth group in his local church in Florida. You can do it. You've just got to make up your mind that you're going to. I mean, honestly, a lot of the stuff that we make excuses about really comes down to this in the end. We just haven't made up our mind yet. Because when you make up your mind, you can. Mm -hmm. Mm. Faithfulness and giving. Create a budget. Give up some non-essentials. Trust God to meet your needs. Stop spending on things you can't afford. Do what Shay and I used to do. Allot you a certain amount for groceries. Walk into Walmart with a calculator. Add the tax. And when you hit that number, stop shopping and go check out. So we did for years. Some weeks we got the ice cream. Most weeks we didn't get the ice cream. Amen? That's just how that goes. (laughs) We have to be disciplined. Say disciplined. The thing that holds most of us back from growing in Jesus is just spiritual laziness. We have to stretch ourselves, strain, press toward the mark, press toward the goal. What are you going to do about what God showed you? Our attitudes as we enter the new year ought to be like the old song, Higher Ground. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. That ought to be our attitude, amen? We need uh, to move forward. And the only way we can move forward is to stop looking back. So the third thing we've got to have is a putting away of the past. Say, put it away. You've got to get past your past if you're going to move forward into the future. As the great country singer said, there ain't no future in the past. Amen. We can't live in yesterday. We can't stay stuck. Bad things happen when we look back. Lot's wife turned back and got stuck. Demas looked back and then he went back. Amen. Jesus said if a man puts his hand to the plow and looks back, he's not fit for the kingdom. Paul said forgetting those things which are behind. 
Paul didn't mean he couldn't remember what happened yesterday. He just meant he wasn't going to keep letting yesterday influence today's decisions anymore. He wrote it off the books. He moved past it. Not living in light of the past. No longer allowing his pre-Christian past to affect his behavior. My past does not determine my future. My present determines my future. It's not what I did three years ago. It's what I'm doing right now that is setting me up for tomorrow. Amen. Well, pastor, I just don't like the way things are going. Well, then do something. Do something. My mama used to say, do something if it's wrong. Amen? I mean, what you're doing now isn't working. Make an adjustment. Turn the corner. Turn over a new leaf. Try something different. What we do right now with the grace of God that is available to us will help change the future. If a once demon-bound Mary Magdalene can become the first preacher of the resurrection, if a persecutor and murderer of Christians like Saul of Tarsus can become God's great mouthpiece to the Gentiles, what can God do in our lives if we get past yesterday and live in the present and allow God to have His way in us? Hebrews 12 and 1 says, Therefore, having been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. We have to lay aside some things. We have to put some things down. What do you need to lay aside? Let me give you two recommendations today. Number one, lay aside your regrets. Say your regrets. There are some things today that you've done that you're not proud of. We all have a list of those things. Some of them may be sin. Some of them may be just bad choices that you made. They may not have been sinful, but they just led you to a place that you don't enjoy. And and that was the worst decision I ever made. We all have regrets, but don't get stuck in your regret. Lay aside your regret. You cannot change the past. Yesterday will never be any different than it was. It's never going to be different. Yesterday won't change. Even God will not turn back the hands of time and let us fix our past mistakes. But just because you failed doesn't mean that you are a failure. Everybody who's ever done anything has probably failed more than they succeeded. It's not that they're a success. It's that they are a, not, they're not a quitter. They keep persevering. They keep plowing ahead. When they fall down, they get up and they go back at it again. The Bible says a righteous man may fall seven times, but he rises every time he falls. What makes you righteous is not that you never fail. It's that you fell down seven times, but you got up eight times. That's what means you're righteous. There's something in you that won't let you quit. It won't let you stay where you are. And even though you may have tried and failed before, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, He will motivate you and push you to get up and go back again. Pastor, I've tried to quit smoking every year. We'll try one more time. This will be the time that it works. Pastor, we've tried getting on a budget. We'll do it this year. Amen. God will help you. One of these times, it'll stick. How many times you tried to ride a bike before you finally could? Amen. But I bet you could all ride a bike today. Amen. How many of you failed at tying your shoes? How many of you can tie your shoes now? See? <laughs> it's just the law of life. The people who win are not lucky, they're not better. They're just more perseverant. They just endure. They just keep going. They they keep plugging ahead. So let go of your regret. Say your regret. 
You're not a tree. You can move. Stop repeating the same dead-end patterns. Number two, let go of your resentment. Say your resentment. Honestly, the thing that's holding a lot of us back is there are other people and, and things that have been done to us in our past that take up way too much space in our hearts and our minds and we are wasting valuable emotional energy that we could be spending on God's kingdom or on other relationships and instead we are stuck back there not in a past decision but in a past relationship. We're holding on to a grudge. We're nursing a, a wound. We are bottling up unforgiveness and bitterness and it's souring and it's making our heart heavy. Some of you are stuck right in the middle of that today. Listen, you can't help what someone did with you, but you don't have to stay where they dropped you off. Just because they left you there doesn't mean you have to take your mail at that address. Amen? Move beyond that. How do you do that? Well, number one, name your losses. Name it. Put a name on what happened to you. It hurt, it mattered, it bothered you, and you are grieving over what was done to you. Name your losses. Acknowledge that it happened. Stop shoving it down and pretending that nothing happened to you. Something happened to you, and it bothers you, and it still bothers you. And the sooner you're honest about it, the sooner you can move beyond it. But as long as you're lying about it and saying, Oh, I'm fine, it doesn't matter to me what they did. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Oh, I'm free from that. If you were free from it, you wouldn't be talking about it all the time. Hmm. Acknowledge it. Own it. Admit it. Name your loss. It Say name it. Number two, grieve it. Take some time and process your grief about what happened to you. Come before the Lord and say, Lord, help me to unpack this. I'm sad. I'm angry. I'm disappointed. Here it is. Lay it out before the Lord and allow God to help you walk through it. If you're stuck, go see your pastor. Go see a good Christian counselor. Go talk to someone and unload your heart and let them help you process through it. So grieve your losses. Process it. Number three, cut your losses. Name them, grieve them, and then cut your losses. Move beyond them. Move past them. Realize the past is never going to be different. You're never going to be able to undo the harm that was done to you. But you don't have to keep living in light of it. Forgetting those things which are behind. Forgetting those things which are behind. This is what Paul means. What I've done and what other people have done. You've got to move beyond it. You've got to, or it will hold you in yesterday for the rest of your life. Break free from it. Some of us, it's our own shame, to be honest with us. And what we need to do is we need to get alone at the cross and realize that Jesus bore our guilt and he bore our penalty, but he also bore our shame. We don't have to be ashamed. Don't let the enemy lock you up in the dark. Don't back away from God or His people. Don't hide from relationship with others because you're ashamed about something in your past, ashamed of what has been done to you or what you've done. Don't let shame lock you up like that. Don't. Your elder brother took a beating for you. Your God went to the cross for you and He bore your shame and you don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to be. Jesus bore that for you on the cross. Lay it down. Lay it down. Let go of it today. If you're going to press forward, you need an adequate picture of yourself. An active pursuit of God. A putting away of the past. And lastly, this morning, you need an accurate pattern. An accurate pattern for Christian living. Say a pattern. 
I need a pattern. I need someone I can look at to give myself a model to go by of how I ought to live the Christian life. Paul said in verse 17, Brothers, join in following my example and note those who walk like I do because you have us for a pattern. Wow. You know, it's wonderful. Paul told the church, he said, you've got examples to follow. The Philippians had, they had, number one, they had Jesus, amen? You and I have the Gospels. We've got a Bible here, and we can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we can live the way that Jesus lived because we have an example to pattern ourselves after. Peter tells us that we ought to follow in his steps. That's what he says in 1 Peter. And so we have Jesus as a pattern to go by. We have his life, his earthly way of living to model for us how to please God. Number two, not only did they have Jesus, they had Paul. They had a pattern in heaven and they had one on the earth. You see, Jesus had already gone to heaven, but Paul was living among them. He was right in front of them and they could watch his life and they could model themselves after him. Paul was so confident in the consistency of his walk with God that he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Wow. Isn't that a bold statement? To be, able, to be walking so close to God that you could look at another Christian and say to them, if you'll just do what I do, you'll be about 90% right. Wow. That's a great testimony, isn't it? Wow. I love that he put the caveat in there, though. Follow me as I follow Christ. The reality is the very best of our human models won't make 100%. They won't do everything just right. But we are to follow them insofar as they follow Jesus. If they step off the path at some point, and they will in one way or the other, we are to keep following Jesus and not them. The best advice anyone ever gave me as a young Christian was, get your eyes on Jesus, not on any preacher. I'm so tired of people saying, I'm not coming to church because there's a bunch of hypocrites in church. You go to football games with hypocrites. Some of y'all will drive out tomorrow and go sit with a bunch of Alabama fans that didn't become Alabama fans until they got to that game. And yet those fair weather fans and hypocrites will not keep you from shouting roll tide, will it? Why is it we only mind hypocrites in church? <laughs> Don't get your eyes on people and their failures. You know what? Jesus is not going to accept that as an excuse on the last day. Amen. He's going to say, you had me, you had my word. And yeah, you had some unfaithful people, but you had some faithful people too. Walk with them as they walk with Jesus. Follow their example. We have the writings of the apostles that teach us. We have pastors and Christian leaders and life group leaders and Sunday school teachers. We have others as patterns around us. Paul said, don't just look at me. Find the people who walk like I do and follow them as well. You have them as a pattern. They had a pattern right there in their local church. If we follow Christians who live consistently for Jesus, we will do pretty well. Learn from them. Promise Keepers was built on a principle that every Christian needed three other Christians in, her, in his or her life. You need a Paul, you need a Barnabas, and you need a Timothy. What does that mean? You need someone who's ahead of you, who's lived for Jesus longer than you. That's your Paul. Say, that's Paul. And then you need a Barnabas. You need someone who has been saved about as long as you have. They're about the same level as you are in the Christian life. Say, that's Barnabas. Barnabas means son of encouragement. Someone who encourages you and makes you want to go. It's your spiritual gym buddy who makes you want to get up and do it when you don't want to get up and do it. 
And then you need a Timothy. That's someone who's younger in the faith than you. Someone who is watching you. Someone that you can grab by the hand and say, I don't know everything, but I've been at this a little longer than you have. Let me show you what I do know, and I'll help you just as far as I can. And if you catch me and pass me, I'll hand you off to somebody else. But come go with me, and let's get started in the things of God. That's your Timothy. Say your Timothy. That may be your child or your grandchild. That may be a co-worker. That may be a Christian friend. That is why it's so important that we fellowship together, not just in church, but outside of church. Pastor, why do you book all these life group parties? Because you're never going to connect with somebody sitting in this room. Right? We worship in rows, but we don't get connected in friendship like this. So don't just be faithful in church. Be faithful to the events of your life group. Pastor, I'm not in a life group. Well, you know what? At the end of next month, we'll be having a life group fair, and we'll give you an opportunity to meet all these life groups and their leaders. Try them out. Go through the different ones. They're different from one another. They each have their own flavor. One of them will be a benefit to you. One of them will fit you. Plug into that group. Amen? Amen. Christians fellowshipping together. That's why Wednesday nights and time in Sunday school are so important to our growth. Really what I preach this morning boils down to four questions that every Christian needs to answer as they begin the new year. Number one, what needs changing? Say that with me. What needs changing? What has the Holy Spirit put his finger on? If he hadn't put his finger on anything, you must not have been alone with him yet. <laughs> Get alone with God. Ask some of those questions that I asked at the beginning. Allow the Holy Spirit to do some work in your heart. Search me, O oh God. Show me my heart. Show me the reality about my life. What needs changing? Number two, what am I going to do about it? Say that with me. What am I going to do about it? What am I going to do? What change am I going to make? What's going to be different on my part? How will I deal with these things? What action will I take about what God has said to me? Number three, what baggage from my past do I need to lay down in order to experience victory in these areas? Say that with me. What baggage will I lay down? Number four, who are the Christians who are going to help me. Say that. Who are the Christians who are going to help me? Who's your team? Who's your gym buddy? Who's your running partner? Who is the Christian or the group of Christians that are going to help you do better in this new year? Pull you some people into your life. Make some commitments and ask God to help you do that. I want you to stand with me all over the Lord's house. Chad's going to come. We're going to sing. If you would like to come and pray, if you need to come and pray, the altar is open for you. But can I tell you today that what most of us need to do is not come and cry some tears or say some words or even go home and make a New Year's resolution list that we'll lose by March the 1st. It is to get alone with God and say, Lord, point out the one or two things that really matter to you that you want me to address immediately in my life. And then map an action plan about them and tell somebody who will ask you and hold you accountable to do something about it. Someone who will love you enough to hold you accountable and say, how are you doing? What are you doing? Have you made any progress in this area of your Christian life? I challenge you to do that. Why? Because the Christian life takes effort. Grace is not automatic. Say that. Grace is not automatic. God's Spirit lives in you. But you know what? If you don't put forth the, the sanctified effort, if you don't harness God's power, if you don't tap in to the reservoir of Holy Spirit ability that is within you, this year will go by 
and you won't be any better. In fact, you'll be worse than last year. Amen. This one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. What does a Christian's life sound like? <laughs> it sounds like you on that weight machine at 5.30 in the morning. Oh! Yeah. That's what the Christian life sounds like. Sounds like you, the second mile on that treadmill, right? Yeah. That's the Christian life. Lord, help us. I want to ask them to put up a prayer. It's an old prayer. It's 200 years old, over 200 years old. It's attributed to John Wesley, but he didn't write it. He says a guy named Richard Aline wrote it, but he included it in a prayer book. And the old Methodists and holiness people used to pray this prayer of all days on this day, on New Year's Eve. They would often do it at a watch service. We don't do many of those anymore because most of us give out by 10 o'clock, right? Amen. So we're going to pray it together this morning. We're going to make this our closing prayer. This morning, if you need to come and pray, Shad's going to lead us in a song and then we're going to dismiss after we pray. But if you need to come and pray, the altar's open. We'd love to pray with you. We never want to miss an opportunity to allow you to nail down a decision that you want to make. Maybe you're here today, though, and you say, Pastor, you know, the bottom line for me is this is all fine and good, but I don't have Holy Spirit power in my life because I'm not a Christian. Well, you know what? You can take care of that today as well. Because the only way things are ever going to really change in your life is if somebody else is in the driver's seat of your life. It's not enough to have Jesus as the spare tire. You need Jesus in the driver's seat today. You need to surrender your life to Christ. And if you've never done that, I challenge you to do it today. To come before Jesus and say, Lord, I repent. I'm sorry. Forgive me for the things I've done, the life I've lived up till now, trying to be my own boss, calling my own shots. Forgive me. Come into my life. I believe that when you died on the cross and rose again, you did it for me. And your blood paid for my, my sins. And I'm asking you to wash me, make me clean, give me a new heart, give me a new life. And Jesus, if you'll come and rescue me from my sin, if you'll come and deliver me from the things I've done and what I've become, then I will surrender my life to you. I'll walk with you with all the grace you give me. I know I'll stumble, but when I do, I'll get up and go again. With all my heart, I promise to follow you from this day forward. I surrender my life. You're going to be Lord and Master as well as Savior. If you've never invited Jesus to do that, if you've never had such a moment, then I want to tell you, you don't need a New Year's resolution list. You need to come and let Jesus rescue you from your sin and yourself and make you a new person. The altar's open. Would you bow your heart with me today? Father, in the name of Jesus, as we prepare to pray this prayer together corporately, we sing our praise to you in closing. I pray if there's one today who doesn't know Christ or one who's wandered far away from the path of following and serving Jesus, that today would be the day that they renew their commitment to you. As all of us together as God's people renew our covenant with you, God. We'll bless you and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. God's people said, would you pray the prayer on the screen with me? Lord, I am no longer my own but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside by you. Enabled for you or brought low by you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. 
I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. Chad, lead us in a song this morning. The altar is open. We're going to close. If you need to come and pray, come while the Christians sing. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at The Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org. Join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.